Welcome to the SAP Coffee Corner radio podcast. My name is Simon Kemp. In this episode, we're going to have a chat with two of my good friends, Nigel James and Graham Robinson. Nigel wrote a blog post recently on the community website with the title ABAP, the special snowflake. And the blog has had a lot of comments and created a lot of conversation in the community. So we thought it would be good to get both Nigel and Graham on to discuss it in a little bit more detail. The blog post even attracted the attention of SAP founder Hassel Platner. So I hope you enjoy the uh, interview with uh, Nigel and Graham, and I'll check in again with you at the end. Nigel, Graham, thanks for joining me. Um, I think we kick off with a couple of introductions. Would you, uh, Nigel, do you want to start introducing yourself? Sure. My name's Nigel James. I've been around the SAP community, SDN, SCN, whatever we call it these days, SAP community, for about 15 years. When it uh, kicked off in 2003, I found out about it and, and jumped on board. I've been to various uh, tech ends and things in Europe and America over the years. And a number of years ago, I came up with this strange idea of having uh, these community days that uh, Mark Finnard had run at a conference I, I was at and thought we could do those on a more regular schedule and didn't have to wait for a tech end to do one. Uh, my friend in the UK, um, Darren Haig, uh, set up the first one and we called it Community Day and then the next year we called it SAP Inside Track and there's been a whole bunch of them run ever since. I've also written a few few blogs or so and I guess that's what we're going to be chatting more about tonight. Yeah, cool. So, Nigel, you've really been around since the beginning of the SAP community or the very early days. So um, it's great to have your insight. Now, Graham, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Graham Robinson here, um, known as Robbo. Uh, yeah, I've been around in the SAP community much the same time. I had the uh, happy coincidence of, uh, of going out as an independent uh, developer in the SAP space right around that time, 2003, 2004. And, um, and so the community was a, a, a great resource for me as someone who was, you know, struggling, struggling to have, have sort of to start up a business and, and uh, become self-sufficient. Um, to get things going. So I've been involved with the community, uh, you know, in one way or the other uh, ever since. And uh, and uh, and just, uh, Nigel just tweaked with me something there as he's missed their inside track. Uh, one of the, the big plugs I'll put in here for inside tracks, please, 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 don't think you've got to be an SAP mentor to organise an inside track, guys. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I see there's lots of inside tracks recently, uh, lots and lots coming up on the radar so um oh there's, there's so many of them it's awesome yeah it's great it's great all right cool so our topic today is um is i guess abap git and, and um not just abap git but kind of the future of abap innovation within abap and and nigel you wrote a blog recently with the um eye-catching title um of abap the special snowflake um, and I think the hashtag ABAP as a snowflake um, <laughs> has sort of popped up, which I think is, yep. hilarious, is hilarious. But can you can you give us some background, um, I guess, to that blog and how, how all this sort of started? Yeah, sure. I've, I've been following a bit of uh, some questions and things that have been going back and forth with uh, uh, Dennis Howlett, who's, who's been a long-time uh analyst and commentator in the SAP and enterprise space. 
Uh, he's got a, a site now called Diginomica, uh, and he, he was chatting back and forth a little bit about diversity, and I'd kind of seen some of that, but then I saw this question pop about up, uh, where's the next Esme coming from? Esme, E-S-M-E, uh, which was, uh, back in the day, it was almost like an enterprise Twitter. It was like a conversational type thing. You could have plugins and all sorts of things, possibly a little bit like uh, people might use Slack today. Um, and, and so that was started kind of out of an idea of a few kind of mentors uh, and a few people at that level around the SAP community uh and so he was saying, where's this next big community-led kind of idea coming from? So I thought, well, that's obvious. That's ADAPT Git. Um, so I, I made, tweeted back to him, you know, it's ADAPT Git and, you know, that's, that's the next big thing. So a few days later, um, he, uh, I see this tweet back from him that he had looked at it and thought it was pretty special, um, could see the potential of it. And then uh, a whole bunch of discussion triggered from that, like uh, where, you know, where's, uh, is this a good thing, a bad thing, indifferent thing? And uh, a whole lot of arguments came uh, from, from both sides. And then after about uh, probably three or four days of it going around the world through different time zones, I thought, well, I think, some, I think we need to summarise that this. And uh, Ethan Jewett, <coughs> who's uh, quite vocal in this space and has written a number of pieces o- over the years, um, has used this this phrase a couple of times, and I'm I'm, I'm borrowing it and I'm blaming it on Ethan. Hi, Ethan. Uh, he he's called Abat, you know, a special snowflake. You know, it, why does Abat think it's so special that it can't use all these tools that every other platform has? And so that's where that's where the the clickbaity title came from, um, uh, and and I tried to distill the distill that Twitter conversation, uh, which is linked in the blog, so you can go back and follow it all through, and kind of bring bring the the nub of it uh, in a nice summarised format, and then Dennis picked it up and wrote his own piece as well, so. Yeah, it kind yeah, of so, went from there. So we'll we'll get to Dennis's piece. That's that was quite interesting, and it actually got some pretty high level um, recognition, I guess, from within SAP. Um, now, I guess most people will know what ABAP is. I probably don't need to explain that, um, but many people won't know what ABAP Git is, right? Um, so, Graham, you know a lot about ABAP Git. Can you give us the uh, the thirty second overview of what that is? The elevator pitch, yeah, yeah. ABAP Git is a is a ABAP that is a client for Git written in ABAP, um, and uh, um, so so first of all, it is not Git and it is not GitHub, um, or uh, or Bitbucket or any of those other um, um, Git servers, if you like. Um, it is a, purely as a client. It's it's designed to talk from your ABAP environment to a Git repository. Uh, the most common one around there, out there is GitHub um, because everyone can get access to it and uh, you can get free access to it as long as you're happy for your repositories to be public. Um, and for a very small amount of money, you can have private repositories as well. So it's the most common one out there. Everyone plays there. But Abbott Git, most importantly, is just a client 
to the Git server. Uh, it allows you to do um, track your code, track your commits. It allows you to do a type of branching. Um, it allows you to um, share code because once you've pushed your code to a Git repository, that means anyone else could pull it down from that Git repository, anyone you want it to. So it's a great way to facilitate uh, collaborative development, sharing of projects, things like that in the ABAP space, which is something the ABAP you know, technology and infrastructure has always struggled with. We've always had trouble with it. So, so if you think back to the days of SAPLINK, that was really the first product or the first um, project that allowed you to properly share code with other ABAP developers by serializing your code and putting it, in that case, it put it into a file that you could then um, give to someone else who could then import the code or the, ABAP, the objects, the ABAP artifacts into your ABAP system. And so Git is the, is the contemporary code management um, tool set, if you like. Um, it's very well understood, very well known. Uh, almost every platform makes use of it. Um, and this is, this ABAP Git client allows ABAP developers to take advantage of what Git provides. Yeah, cool. So we've always had sort of source code management within ABAP, but it's always been very sort of closed, right? And an ABAP Git is a way to open that up, let people, let ABAP developers share their code and collaborate on code um, and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 And 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 I guess one of the one of the important distinctions to make is is when we when we think in ABAP in terms of managing our code, we often think of of the correction and transport system CTS, and uh, CTS does a couple of things, um, and and the and the code management tools associated with it in in the ABAP framework do a couple of things. One is code management, version management, things like that. But a great part of what CTS does is actually code promotion controlling and managing moving your code through the landscapes in a typical SAP ABAP environment. That means to take the code from your dev system, put it into your um, your quality assurance system for checking it, and then to move it into your production system and manage manage that process. That's really not a role of Git, That's not, a, and therefore not a role of ABAP Git, that code promotion piece. We're really talking about just about the code management piece. Right, so that's the, that's the Git piece, but I guess the code promotion piece is another part of this puzzle, which which I guess you're arguing, Nigel, that that with with Git and with um, you know a way to I guess continuously deliver um, code within an ABAP system, you're starting to take ABAP away from its sort of legacy mindset and a legacy toolkit and bring it into into line with with a lot of other sort of modern uh, languages of today. Is that is that it? Yeah, I think so, and I think. It, it, like Graham says, it's not about Git isn't the tool to promote your code, but it, it allows um, joining up with other open source type uh, tools, uh, like let's say, for example, something like Jenkins, that would allow you to, um, you know, kind of spin up a an environment. And, and, you know, this is all kind of hypothetical. Let's just say you could have a Docker environment with, with an ABAP system in it, um, possibly possibly read some things around that so this isn't so hypothetical uh you could on on a an event of someone pushing code to a particular branch it could uh, then uh, trigger some webhooks that would um, spin up a container run some tests check out to make sure that code's okay and then say yes this code is able to go to the next level or you know the next environment and uh, that that 
um, you know, we do have ABAP, ABAP unit, which is, isn't just a community thing that's baked in for SAP. Uh, and it's been there for, uh, I'm guessing, at least 12 to 13, 14, maybe 15 years or so. Um, but adoption of ABAP unit isn't, isn't so great, and I don't see um, that many people using it. I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people starting to use it now, particularly the, uh, the, the code, uh, open SAP code uh, course that was run recently, earlier in, early this year, is starting to promote that, which is fantastic. Um, so all of these tools, like a, a testing environment, like a, a container environment, like a, a Jenkins-type environment, can be you know, brought together to use something like uh, ABAP Git on when when you do a push to a particular branch, can trigger a whole bunch of things that could run some things automatically, which then kind of leads into like a continuous improvement, continuous deployment-type scenario, uh, which is how a lot of other platforms work. So, so one of the key things here from, from, from what I'm hearing is the ability, I suppose, to, to use these tools to be more, I guess, you know, be faster in reacting to changes in your system, fixing bugs more quickly. But it all seems to hinge a lot on, you know, having good tests that you can run and feeling secure that, um, you know, changes you make get tested properly and then can be can be promoted through your landscape yeah so so these two things together sort of the the, the ability to test automatically test um, and the ability to manage your code in this in this way kind of give you this uh give you this ability yeah yes absolutely cool so this obviously your blog and, and subsequent conversations i mean i think your blog at the moment has something 60 or 70 um comments on it people clearly think this is an important topic right why do you guys think that people are so um you know invested in this and why it's why it's such an important thing for um for the community for the community of ABAP or just sap developers in general i think um uh, from i i think just generally in our industry um to be successful in our industry um, you really have got to be one of those people who who likes that constant learning of new stuff, constantly improving your skills, constantly finding better ways to do something. Just because you found one way to do something doesn't mean um, it's the best way and it doesn't mean that maybe in six months' time there's another tool or another technique that comes along. I think that's that's generally in the DNA of people that work in lots of industries, but in, in, in our industry in particular and I think probably even more particularly as developers. So I think the, the subject matter of um, changing tool sets, changing skill sets, changing techniques, changing design patterns, if you like, is something that's always been relevant for, the, for every developer community, for every developer individually in every community. So I think whenever there's a blog published in this line, and there's been many over the years, um, where you, you sort of... Uh, present to people. Uh, in this case, it was, uh, Nigel was presenting a, a Twitter discussion back to people to, to to get their feedback, or you're presenting your own opinions about that. You know how people should possibly look to keep their skills up to date, keep enhancing them. I think that naturally draws in people that are involved anyway. It's a, it's a natural thing. Now, there's people that are once once you then sharpen that debate by, in our case, 
narrowing it down to the ABAP developer guys um, and girls, that then brings out a whole lot of, of other people who uh, who have different views and that and then start to get down into the minutiae of what ABAP can and can't do and what the technical platform can do. But I think generally speaking, in our industry, people would, would generally recognise, yes, you've got to keep your skills up to date, yes, you've got to keep learning, you've got to keep across new techniques, new new ways of doing things, things like that. So I think it naturally brings, that's the sort of subject matter that naturally brings in a fair bit of attention. Yeah, absolutely. And Nigel, from your perspective, did you echo what, what Graham's saying there or anything else? You think it makes it, why it makes it so important? Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, well, I think, for one, it was a provocative title, and it was intentionally provocative to, uh, you know, <laughs> a bit, a bit tongue in cheek, you know, poke, poke at the ABAP bubble if you like, because there are there are a lot of people who just sit inside the ABAP bubble, and don't learn from other other, see what other uh, languages or other platforms are coming up, um, or you know why we had things like uh, Go come up or uh, other languages like, uh, can't think of the ones I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, but a lot of lang- languages aren't just, uh, you know, static. They're always improving. I mean, even within um, ABAP, there have been a whole bunch of new ways of declaring and uh, referring to things in recent updates. We've got uh, things like the BOPF framework, uh, so there's even within ABAP, there's a whole bunch to learn. So I, I think it's uh, great to look outside and, and see what other uh, languages and frameworks and platforms and, and kind of deployment uh, processes are, are doing and, and seeing if there's anything we can learn from those. Um, and I know people in uh, the PHP world who learn from the Ruby community and people uh, or, or the C Sharp community, or you know, um, Ruby from you know something else. So I, I think there's, it's not like we can just put our head in the um, ABAP snow cone, shake it up every now and again with a blog, and and just live happily ever after. Um, we're we're kind of being forced into the cloud, give it like it or not, and that opens up a whole bunch of other options that the ABAP environment, or, or sorry, the, the SAP environment um, hasn't seen to date. You know, I've seen you know slides with a bit of Python here, a bit of JavaScript. Um, you know, we've got Node with XJS, X, SJS uh, happening. So that it's, it's not just your grandfather's ABAP anymore. So we can't put our uh, heads in the, in the sand and fingers are in a years and go la 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 anymore we we need to be learning and and um you know i, I guess i'm just just trying to put together some ideas and saying um these are some some of the things we can we can look at um and and do you know, you, if nigel do you find people like have you had have you had a lot of people come to you and say yeah absolutely totally agree with you or you know i guess you must have had all people coming back who live in the in the about bubble and and maybe don't agree with you. What what sort of counter arguments have you had? Have you had people come back and say, "Oh, quite happy the way things are. We don't we don't need this sort of stuff in the in the ABAP world." Yeah, there's there's been a bit of a mixed response. There's been one or 
two, I mean, overwhelmingly, the, the response that I've had has been quite positive. But there's been one or two that people have said, well, why do we need this? Um, you know, what we've got is fine. Will tests make anything run faster? Um, as though that was the only uh, parameter for a project success. Uh, and, you know, but but then they've said, well, you know, I'm I'm you know, keen to tend to learn things um, as well. So it, it, I guess it comes down to uh, what's on your plate. I mean, I'm a little bit of a fan of just-in-time learning. So um, you can't, as as Graham said, you can, there's so much to learn. You can't learn everything. You know, I've happened to um, come from a. Uh, environment that was using Git very extensively um, and I was able to pick up on you know, and see how they were using those type of Jenkins type tools to, to deploy between different environments. Um, but predominantly the, the feedback has been positive. Um, there's been follow-up blogs by uh, Uwe um, showing basically an example of how he's using um, uh, ABAP unit to test. Uh, and so I, I think it stimulated a whole bunch of conversation and a whole lot of flow and stuff, which is, which has been very positive. And and uh, you know the the naysayers saying, oh, this is all um, heresy and burn you at the, the stake and that sort of uh, type approach have, have been very um, very limited, which is encouraging. So most people are, you know, open to learn new things and interested in this. So, well, I guess one thing we didn't touch on uh, when Graham, when you described ABAP Git, was kind of the the origin of it. So Nigel, you mentioned that ABAP Unit was a testing framework. I guess that developed by SAP is part of the standard product. That's quite different from ABAP Git, right, Graham? I mean, ABAP Git is something that was that was more sort of community based. Um, do you want Absolutely, to just, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a completely open source. Um, open source project started by uh, Lars Pham from, um, I think he's Danish, is he from Denmark? I keep forgetting Lars, sorry. Um, but uh, it's been around for a couple of years. But yes, entirely a community, um, community-based community project. So uh, I think there's something like 30 or 40 contributors on the list now. Many of the people on the contributors list are like me. I think I very early on contributed uh, inserting the Git logo in one of the UIs, and that's about all I've done code-wise. <laughs> um, but... Uh, um, uh, so I guess we should probably separate the, the contributors to the committers. Um, and at, at TechEd uh, last year, Bjorn Gurker, of course, uh, announced uh, ABAP in the cloud and they mentioned that they see ABAP get, having a role to play there. Um, the ABAP in the cloud stuff is is due for, if, if SAP stick to their uh, their timelines, it's due to be uh, available pretty soon. And, uh, and so then we'll see what sort of a role uh, ABAP uh, Git has to play play in there in the, in the first release, but certainly SAP are interested in it. SAP have cleared some of the legal log jams, so we actually have had some um, commits from SAP employees now part of the project, so that's I can't tell you how difficult it was to get that done and, and what a great achievement it is just to get the first first commit merged into the master branch from uh, an SAP employee. That's just 
amazing. So, so, uh, so while it's a community project, we obviously want SAP themselves to be a contributor to that project because uh, you know it's got to suit their needs as well and uh, and bring them along as well. So it's a it's a, it's a really exciting project that's got an awful lot of momentum as well. You know, this, um, we're, we're at the stage now where most people have heard of it and most developers have at least had a little bit of a look at it um, to see what it what it can do for. Cool. I mean, that's really that's really interesting, right? Because I think SAP over the last few years has become much more open and, and contributes to open source, um, you know, quite frequently and, and, and regularly. So having them contribute to ABAP-Git is really, a, you know, a step in the in the right direction, right? It's um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, from from my point of view, as being you know involved in the ABAP Git project, one of the concerns I had when SAP first showed interest was that they wouldn't just you know fork it and create their own project and go off and do it in house, which which is not what community projects are about. What it's not what ABAP Git was ever about. So um, fortunately, um, SAP agreed with me on that. They, they're going the same way. It's just uh, getting the legal stuff done so that um, so that uh, SAP employees um, in their work time. Can spend it contributing to a project like that is the hard it was the hard thing. Right. As I said, that's been off now, but uh, it was the hard thing. But yes, you're right. SAP certainly been much more open. They certainly recognise it. You know, when you look at the, you know, the the, the SAP cloud platform, there's so much open source um, uh, projects and components built into there. It's just uh, it's just quite uh, quite phenomenal when you consider what a closed shop SAP was. You know, even even ten years ago, but certainly twenty years ago. Right. So you're not we're not rolling our own anymore necessarily, and, and starting from scratch. Um, you know, there's kind of standing. Well, the, 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 the knights of need do still make an appearance every now and then. Um, the Monty Python's knights of knee, N I H, as in not invented here, right. they appear every now and then. But uh, but Nigel gets rid of them by uh, offering a shrubbery. <laughs> Very good. Or, or, or a snowflake-shaped blog. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, awesome. So you touched a little bit on the cloud platform there, and I guess um, we also touched a little bit on Dan Howlett's article that he published in Diginomica. So one of the commenters on Dan's article was actually Hasso Plattner, um, and Hasso's focus was largely on the cloud and the cloud platform. Um, and, and I think from my reading of that, you know, the future, future of SAP is, you know, squarely, you know, on, on that, in that cloud space, but perhaps also the future of ABAP is squarely in that cloud space. Would, what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly SAP. SAP's view is that, you know, um, uh, the, the old SAP model, if you like, was that you installed an on-premise uh, ERP system, for example, and then when you needed to enhance it in some way is you engage your own group of uh, your own project team if you like that included developers who would uh, write code on that system to to add the extensions to add the differences that they want and and one of the things that's become very very obvious over that you know we're talking a, a almost a 30 year journey maybe even more on that sort of stuff what's become um, uh, very obvious is is that has added that level of complexity to the on-premise ERP system that's in fact inhibited innovation and it's inhibited customers being able to upgrade readily. And uh, in, in 2018, um, 
people want to not just have innovations developed, but they want to be able to implement them and get them running in their production system as quick as possible. So the old enterprise or the, the traditional, I shouldn't say old because most SAP customers are still working this way, the traditional um, enterprise experience is, oh, beauty, SAP have got some new fabulous whiz-bang thing. Um, when can we get it in? Oh, well, we need to apply uh, you know, an upgrade to this release and we need to get to this service pack level and then we've got to improve this extra infrastructure because now it's web-based instead of SAP GUI-based and et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a, a significantly indigestible piece of work. Um, so those sort of regular up, um, ex, uh, sort of digestion of innovations is impossible at the rate that most customers want and certainly SAP would want them to do. So their, fu- their future view is that your S4 HANA system, for example, whether it's the cloud um, version or, or the on-premise version or something in between, hosted versions, whatever they are, is that you won't play with that. You won't muck around with that too much at all. What you'll do is build these extensions in some sort of sidecar arrangement. And the SAP obviously want you to use their cloud platform for that. Uh, and you can then, the cloud platform effectively allows you to bring your own language and one of those languages is going to be ABAP and um, you can then choose which language you want to do build stuff in and but you build it external to the your S4, your mainline S4 system, which in theory means that you can take innovations from SAP. In the case of the cloud-based S4 HANA, they're looking at rolling them out every three months. So every three months you can get the latest innovations on that system and on-premise once every 12 months you'll be able to apply it and hopefully apply it easily and quickly because you haven't changed the system significantly from what it delivers to you. So you should be able to be comfortable putting those updates in as quickly as you can and then all your code's done side by side. So that's where the cloud platform plays. That's certainly where Hasso and SAP see it playing and that was the context of Hasso's responses is, hey, guys, Cloud, you're going cloud, whether you like it or not, you're going cloud, right? If you're going to have an on-premise ERP system, you're going to build some extensions on it, you're going to be building them in something that sort of sits alongside that on-premise system, not directly in it. And we want it to be the SAP cloud platform. Right. And, and ABAP is just one piece in that tool set of, of, um, you know, of tools you've got on the cloud platform, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's right. And then the cloud platform value proposition has been sharpened a lot by SAP. So, for example, I think maybe three years ago at a Sapphire, I asked Hasso the question. Um, it was when they first were really announcing and switching the cloud platform. I said, I asked him a question along the lines of, hey, there's lots of platform as a service options out there for people to do it. What's so special about the SAP cloud platform? Why should we pick that one? And at that time, the answer was probably not fully formed, but clearly now if you ask the question, and, and Husso had some of it in that response to Dennis's stuff, the value of the cloud platform, the SAP cloud platform, is those microservices that are in there that it can consume. So whether there's something simple like a currency conversion thing or whether they're a, a, a master data service, for example, where you can store all your business partner data in one place and have all your things get in there, but the thing that makes the SAP cloud platform valuable and and the differentiating thing going forward is those services that are built on it, both by SAP and by partners and by customers themselves, to consume. So it's a place where you go where you've got all those services. And, of course, there's infrastructure that helps as well. You know, when you've got all that sort of stuff, you want your cloud platform to provide single sign-on and a single security model across everything and, and things like that. But, um, but, but 
the, you know, no, no one's going to win this game because they've got the best cloud platform. It's these business services that are on it that's going to differentiate the SAP one from any of the others. Right, and that's similar to how SAP, I guess, differentiated themselves originally with their um, with their business focus, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, they've just got they've just got much sharper at announcing things like that. I, I think from memory, when I asked Hasso that question, was it three or four years ago? His answer was essentially, "Well, you would pick this one because it is the best." Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas, whereas, whereas now his answer would be very much, "Well." hang on, it's got all these business services on it that you can't go anywhere else. It's got all this technology, whether it's machine learning or, um, you know, uh, God forbid you wanted blockchain to do God knows what with, I still haven't found a problem that that's a solution for, but let's say, let's say you found a problem where that was a solution, you could find that, that technology there as well, but all wrapped in the same platform, which means you can take some of those infrastructure issues away and, and, and build everything together. So again, it's, it's, it's the old story. It's about composing services to build an application on top. Right. And it's, I guess it's, I suppose it's kind of similar to how ERP was or R3 or whatever. Um, you know, people didn't buy SAP just to have the app platform or the NetWeaver platform, right? They bought it for the solutions that are on top of it that SAP provide. So Absolutely. You did. In fact, you didn't buy the app platform, right? You bought the applications and the technology came with it that you right. had to run it on. Right. So a similar thing happening in the, in the cloud platform space at the moment, yeah, I think I think well, that's that's got to be where they go, and it makes sense, right? It, it, it makes sense. That's what SAP is good at. That's where they add value. It makes sense, right? You know, all these cloud platforms are running, you know, cloud foundry stuff, right? Yeah. You know, cloud foundry doesn't differentiate you with a cloud platform. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let me look back quickly um, to something we did talk about. We we touched a little bit on kind of this ABAP bubble or this legacy culture. And I suppose there's two aspects that I see to that. There's the kind of culture of the developer. Um, and I think many developers do want to learn new things. That's sort of the nature of being a developer. Um, but there is a bit of a legacy um, culture within the development space. I suppose there's also a, a, an enterprise culture of, um, you know, I've been you know, involved with SAP for 20 years and I've seen, you know, when we need to make a change in a production system, that can take a long time. And a lot of the time it's for good reason. They want to make sure that everything is right, that you don't put something in and break the system and suddenly you can't take orders any longer or, uh, you know, bring your business to a, to a grinding halt. So there's a bit of a, uh, you know, looking at this sort of um, continuous delivery type of approach, there's going to be a few barriers there to getting the business on side, I guess, to that. What, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty key. And then we there was in the the Twitter thread there was a whole bunch of things around, you know, whether the culture comes first or the or the tools drive the culture or the culture drive the tools. And I think it's it's a little bit circular. But like you say, you know, SAP is a system of record, and it's for a lot of businesses. If that goes down, then you know, it's like. Uh, if you can't invoice or you can't receive orders, then your business grinds to a halt. So I understand that there's, um, yeah, you're not just going to let some uh, cowboys in, you just throw anything, any good old app app in, uh, just on, on top of your production system. Obviously, there has to be gates and checks and balances. But it, it, kind of to lean towards what Graham is saying, you know, there's, there's a, a stable core and there's stuff that happens closer to the edge. So you can innovate out at the edge and you can use some of these faster processes 
you know, particularly if it's kind of a, a UI, you want to change your UI, you want to use a little bit of UI5 or, or you know, roll your own or, or maybe a bit of React or uh, something on the mobile space, you can kind of innovate there and, and kind of iterate on some of those sorts of things really quickly um, and still have the same uh, validation and, and, and uh, uh, good um, uh, stability happening at the core. Uh, so I think if you can kind of uh, separate out those kind of two things and, and have them running at two different speeds, um, then you can um, put in innovations, uh, you know, where, where they fit. You know, and that's not to say that everything that um, goes into core has to be um, completely tested to death, but just ensuring that they're the right gates um, to get through that, that you're not going to take down you know, a production system that's taking millions of dollars of orders a day. But that does raise the really important role that um, writing testable code has, right? Which is why, why all these subjects blur together, right? We start talking about, you know, um, uh, collaborative coding across, you know, Git projects, for example, but then being able to get a, a proper um, CICD pipeline going. That's why being able to run automated tests, being able to write testable code so that those tests can run becomes so important to achieve that because to be able to, to be able to make changes that you can comfortably test and get into production in hours or even minutes is is just so far from where the standard um, enterprise software is these days, right? And, and you know, it's great to go to a customer and say, hey, I've got a change, I want to put it in and put it in production. And they go, well, we, you know, we only release transports to, to QA on a Thursday night and then we got to have a week of testing and do regression testing on everything. And then we only actually release to production once every month or something, things like that. that you know, that's just fights against it. And, the, and, the, and there's good, as Nigel says, there's absolutely good reasons for doing this, okay? And the reason, in fact, there's one good reason for doing this. The reason is don't break production, okay? That's why you do it that way. And it makes absolute sense. But there is tools and techniques available in 2018 that weren't available in the mid-1990s when most people set up these infrastructures that they could take advantage of and move it through. And, and I, I keep going back to the – it was a many years ago I saw a presentation from Amazon, many years ago. But the person in the presentation claimed that they made a change to their production, running their running production platform. They made a change to it on average every 14 seconds. And that's just – like light years from where SAP and enterprise, not just SAP, where enterprise software is, on-premise enterprise software. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I mean, I find one of the barriers as well um, when it comes to developing um, to developing code, not that I can really call myself a developer, but what I have seen is, um, you know, you go into a customer and, and maybe you estimate how long it's going to take you to develop a solution, but then also to write all these all these tests, um, you know, it does take some extra time, right? Um, and a lot of the time, you're competing. Uh, unfortunately, you're competing on price, and it's a race to the bottom in some cases. So you're up against. Yes, we want to do it the right way. We want to have test-driven development. We want to write these test cases so that we can apply them in the future, and, and their value is is long term. But 
sometimes the the dollars just don't add up. Have you guys experienced that as well? Well, absolutely. You see that all the time. But but there are a million. I mean, it's just a Google search away is for a million um, uh, real real world examples of where people implement proper and let's let's say it's going to be test driven development I'd, I would like to 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 not quite go that far but say if you write testable code and you have tests you write tests um but test driven development if, if 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 you do that with your app code sure it's going to take you longer the first time you do it absolutely it's a new and it's it, all it is is a new pattern for how you write your code okay it's not it's not new syntax it's not Anything like that. It's just a new pattern for how you write your code. So it's going to take a while to do it, and you're going to, it's going to take a bit longer each time and things like that as you write the code. But if that becomes your standard way of doing stuff, I would suggest it probably doesn't take you a whole lot longer to write the code once you've got good at it, okay? And by geez, it saves you a hell of a lot of time in, in the maintenance process of the code. And the, you know, as we all know, again, in the enterprise world, one of the features of code in the enterprise world is you don't build it and deploy it and run it for six months and then retire it, something comes along. You build it, deploy it, and it runs for 20 years. And it needs to be changed and tweaks and the customer changes something and something else changes. And you put all these extra edited things get added to it and it turns into this absolute mess of, of code written by multitudes of different people and teams using different standards and that. And so some poor bloke that's got to come along and maintain it has a hell of a job and that's that's really expensive, right? That's really expensive, and it's it's what fights against all this stuff. But I absolutely accept, you know, it's, you're, you're dead right. It's, it's hard to get that across the line, and one way to get it across the line is that developers, if they had the time to invest in themselves to learn how to do this stuff and just started doing it, right, that, it's pretty rare. I've, I've never really seen someone come along and say, don't write tests, mm. Okay. Developers choose not to write tests. Now, sure, if they're under time pressure and stuff like that, at times maybe, you know, until until you get up skilled so you can do it quickly at the same speed as you did before, you might not be able to do it. But once you get your skills up for like that, just write them. Just do them. It's not going to cost you anything to add extra tests. The customer's not even going to know necessarily. It's just for you to be able to unit test the code you've written. So when someone comes back to you and says it didn't work, you know, you can either say, well, yes, it does, it passes my test, or it's an edge case your test didn't cover, and you just update your test to cover the edge case and fix it. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple standard stuff, but it's it's a long way from where we all are, and I'm uh, and, and I'm starting to sound like I'm preaching this now, but like, <laughs> like I do all the time. I don't, right? I'm the, I, I absolutely understand your point of view. I am exactly the same as everyone else. I say I want to do this stuff, and I'm trying to do it as much as I can, and I am doing it a bit, but there are still plenty of occasions when I... You know, especially when I'm maintaining a piece of code that's been there for a long time, um, where it's far easier to just go in there, find the spot, fix it, and get out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it pays dividends in the long run, right? Oh, there's, there's a million use cases. You know, there's a million examples that it absolutely does pay, pay dividends in the long run. And, and if, you know, if it would be paying dividends now for every SAP customer if that's the way it worked. I mean, you know... It, we SAP, we, we developers, as, as in external to SAP, aren't totally to blame, right? SAP don't deliver tests with their code. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a question I asked uh, a number of years ago in, in some forum, and, and, and you know, the crickets was kind of the answer. But it would have been nice for uh, um, SAP not just to release ABAP Unit as a as a lovely tool for everybody, and uh, but to actually 
delivered tests with everything. So, you know, developers could go, oh, this is how you do it. Um, and, you know, the, one of the great benefits of, of tests is that they can actually, you know, if, the, if there's an API and you're testing an API that, you know, has been deployed, whether it's a, a, a BAPI or something, but if there's a whole bunch of tests that go along to that, but the developer can read them and go, oh, that's how you call that. Oh, if I call it this way, that'll happen. It almost becomes a documentation. And we all know how much about, you know, developers in general love writing documentation. But if you're writing a test, you're effectively saying, when I call a test, uh, when I call this this method or this class this way, this is what you'll get back. And by having it in a test, that it's kind of like becomes a contract. And so, as, as someone getting up to speed with a new code base or an old code base that's been maintained by all these people over the years, if the, if there's a you know tests that have been kept up to date, then they're they're worth reading a whole bunch more than the comments which may have been written to say, do it this way, or such and such, edited on this date with this change request, um, you know, be, begin this section, end this section, uh, and then it gets changed and doesn't comment, you know, doesn't, uh, the comments don't get updated, so the comments are worthless. Um, whereas the tests uh, can be run and they're either going to pass or fail, so that it actually becomes a, a useful asset for someone investigating the code for the first time to say, ah, oh, if I make this change, I can very easily quickly say if that's going to break something or I can I can learn uh, what this piece of code is actually meant to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so listen, guys, cognizant of, you know, how long we've talked about this, we could probably keep talking about it for a while and we, we probably will at various events coming up in the next few months. Um, any sort of closing points either of you would like to make? Oh, I guess the one thing I'd like to say is uh, um, is, is there's lots of naysayers. I mean, Nigel's, Nigel's blog uh, got a few out there as well. There's lots of people that say, you know, this is right, I've been doing this stuff the same way forever and uh, I'm happy with the way I'm doing it and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I've got to say that um, we've actually been talking about this stuff for, you know, almost a decade, probably more sort of in privately, but in the open forums, more than a decade. And so um, I absolutely understand if people don't think this is the right way to go, but I would really appreciate an argument for someone who's tried to do it rather than people who just say, I haven't got time to do it. I think it's time time that those people that think, you know, whether it's test-driven development, whether it's it's making use of, uh, of something like ABAP Git to see how you can manage your code a bit better, whether it's um, it's building uh, techniques for building web services, whether it's stuff on the, on the cloud platform, extending your on-premise um, SAP system on the cloud platform, um, rather than just saying, no, no, I don't think it's the way to do it. I think it's about time some people rolled up their sleeves, got in there, did it, tried it out, and then came back with arguments that were based on fact rather than um, just based on their own impressions. There's a challenge to you. Call to action. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think I think the the whole purpose of, of summing this conversation in, in the blog and, and and kind of getting it out there is just to say you know, a bit of a, a I guess a wake up call in some respects to say everybody else does it this way and have been doing it this way for, you know, years. You know, there's there's people I know who've been preaching testing for years and uh, using Git as it, or Git and uh, SVN before it and CVS before that um, to use branch-based uh, uh, repository systems um, 
and and now that we've got that tool with um, about Git, uh, it's certainly worth taking a look at. So, um, like Graham says, don't just um, sit on the fence and throw rocks. Uh, jump in, and the water's fine. It's uh, it's a balmy thirty degrees, <laughs> and the and the waiters are bringing round mojitos. <laughs> it's not, not not where I'm living at the moment. It's not. <laughs> it's freezing. Well, not where I'm living either. <laughs> Somewhere in the world they are. (laughs) Uh, It's always happy hour somewhere. All right, listen, thank you both so much for joining the podcast. Um, As usual, great conversation. And um, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast as well. Um, Hopefully we'll... Absolutely. Great idea. Good work, guys. Yeah, no, so take take my hat off to you. Well done. It's It's a great effort. Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks again for your time. I'll let you get back to... um, to your uh, Monday evenings and um, we'll hopefully again talk soon. See you guys soon, hopefully. Cheers, Simon. Cheers, Nigel. Yep. Thanks, Simon. Well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Nigel and Graham as much as I did. If you've got any feedback for the show, please reach out to us on social media. Thanks for listening.